Good morning. You guys having a good day so far? Yeah? Yes? You can be louder than that. This thing, this, this thing is really tall. I'm going to lower this a little bit. Very good. I have to say, Jimmy, you did a great job doing the welcome today. Yeah, give him a hand. That was great. 85 years young, right? So I, uh, I, as he was standing here, I had pictures in my mind going through. I remember Jimmy and LaRue, they taught my, my kids in Awana way back when. And uh, my son is almost 26 now, so that was a few years ago. But uh, I'm, I'm thankful we have faithful people at Hallmark that have been here a long time. Uh, that, that is important for a church, right? And I was uh, assuming a lot of people over 65 would say amen. Now, Jimmy called you old. I did not, okay? But I want to do that again. If you're over 65, say amen. amen. If you're under 65, say amen. amen. All right. If you're over 85, say oh me. All right. I don't know. I thought I'd try that. Glad you're here this morning. Um, I have to say, my, I'll be honest with you, my mind is a little bit shook right now. I, uh, during that last song, it just really, I had a, uh, a friend from college this week as a pastor. He's 52 years old. And um, two weeks ago, wasn't feeling well. Went to the doctor. They said he had cancer. He was supposed to go back this week to just kind of get a prognosis and what, what's, how are we going to fight this kind of thing. Uh, and he, he died Thursday night. Um, it's a very rare, um, aggressive cancer. And I just think about, you know, I went to college with him. My kids went to college with his kids. Uh, I think of that family today. Could we just um, pause and pray? Lord, there's things in our life that we don't understand. And, and this is one of those things, Lord. And, and I don't pretend to be the only one in the room that has a hurt. Lord, I know there's others in the room who are suffering, who are struggling with all kinds of, of just junk that Satan and the world and, and just life. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have sung, Lord, our, well, we need you. I, I pray for this family, for this church that has lost their dad. Lord, I pray that you would, you've promised, God, that your grace is always sufficient. Your mercy is there new every morning because you're a faithful God. So we, we lean into that. We trust you. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would intervene and give special grace and mercy. We're, we're thankful for the promise of Scripture that we know where Jim's at. We know he's not in pain. He's in your presence. So, Lord, we just, we hold on to your truth and to the hope of the gospel. It is in your name we pray. Amen. 
God is good and all the time. Life's not always good, is it? Life sometimes stinks, but you know, we, we serve a God who is in control, don't we? And God can and will bring good in all things. Uh, he's promised that, but he didn't promise that all things in life were going to be good. Uh, that's, that's a tough lesson to learn, right? But it, it is true. And uh, I want to invite you to turn to Acts. We're in our fourth and final sermon on our series, Project 938, Living on Mission. And as we uh, talk about the last few weeks, we've been in uh, really in Matthew 9, 38. It's kind of our launching verse. And we've challenged you for almost two years now to set your phone alarm for 9.38, uh, really based on the scripture, Matthew 9, 38. And so uh, we've also challenged you this year, as you see this great display here of one, to set your phone alarm for one o'clock. And if you work all night, maybe 1 a.m. would be the best one for you, but that's not for me, right? So one o'clock, and we're praying for our one. And if you're new today, just to kind of explain what this is, uh, this is our, uh, yearly, this, this is going to be our reminder for the year to pray for people to come to know Jesus. The white ping pong balls represent uh, someone we're praying for. So a lot of people came and wrote a name down on a white ping pong ball and put it in the display just as a reminder every day when, or every Sunday when they walk in here to pray for them. And uh, and if you're new and you want to do it, feel free at the end of the service when we have our time of response or last song. You can come do it after church, before church, whenever is, is convenient for you. Um, and then the green ones represent gospel conversations. And I, I'm loving seeing new green um, ping pong balls in there, right? The blue ones represent baptism, orange represents salvation. And so it's just going to be a reminder all year for us to pray for people. And that's really what this series, Living on Mission, is about. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that as we live on mission, in John 17, Jesus was praying with his disciples, really the last night as he was going to be arrested and beaten and crucified, and he prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, as you have sent me, I send them. And so we realize, as a follower of Jesus, we are to live on mission. We are missionaries. Like We often think of missionaries as those people that go overseas, but really, if you are a follower of Jesus... Jesus has sent you on mission, and it's your responsibility to tell people about Jesus, to be salt and light, and to share the gospel, to have a gospel conversation. Then we looked in 2 Corinthians, and we talked about uh, Paul kind of wrestled with the question, what compels me? As a missionary, as someone who's sent, what should compel me to tell people about Jesus? And what Paul said, it was, it was the love of Christ in him that compelled him to tell people about Jesus. And, and when we think about Matthew 9, 38, just kind of the context here, uh, Andrew Perez, he's a new young missionary to the Philippines, did a great job preaching last week. And in Matthew 9, 38, he, he really summarized this. And so let's look at the two verses, Matthew 9, 37, 38. It'll be on the screen. I know you got your, your device or your Bible open to Acts, and we'll get there in a minute. This is what Jesus said, verse 37. He said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. The laborers are few. Basically what he's saying is there's a lot of people who need Jesus, all right? That's just a simple term. There's a lot of people who need Jesus. Verse 38 then says, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so what we were reminded last week is the motivation. We didn't read it, but verse 36 is Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the multitudes who didn't know him. 
And so our motivation is compassion. And then we looked at verse 38, our, the method, as Andrew unfolded for us last week, was we have prayer and we have people. God uses people and God uses prayer. And God uses people who pray, right? And, and so that's the challenge for us. Now, as we look at this week, this morning, Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. But before, um, before we read, we're going to start reading in verse 26 in a moment. But before we read, I kind of want to give you a little bit of context in Acts. Okay, so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 gives us really um, our clear directives as followers of Jesus. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is like right before he ascends back into heaven. And he says, you'll be with us to be in Jerusalem. And in this last statement is not only directives for us as followers of Jesus, we're on mission, we're sent, we're compelled by the love of Christ, but it also gives us an outline for the book of Acts. He says, you'll be witness to me in Jerusalem. Again, really, that's the first six, seven chapters of Acts. Then you'll be in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so from Acts 7-ish, 8 is the rest of the chapter, Judea, Samaria, and, and, and to the uttermost, or to the end of the earth. And this is kind of, I'm just trying to give you a little bit of context and background where we get to Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. And in Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, of course, you can't hardly read verse 1 without thinking of what happened in the end of chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, Stephen had been stoned, killed. And remember the words of Stephen before he uh, was really took his last breath. He's like, Lord, forgive them. Kind of echoing the words of Jesus from the cross. Forgive them, Lord, and don't, don't count this against them. And then we see in chapter one, or after chapter eight of verse one, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. That's referencing Stephen, the end of chapter seven. Consenting, theologians would probably say that really he was kind of probably most likely in charge. It was Paul that was, we read in the next part of that verse that he was wreaking havoc on the church. But it says, verse 1, Saul was consenting to his death at that time. A great persecution arose against the church, which was at, where were they at? Where was the church at? What does it say? Look on the screen. Where is it at? Say it again. Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? What did Jesus say? You're going to be witnessing me first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, or the end of the earth. At this point, we're all the way to Acts chapter 8. And where does it say the gospel has been? To Jerusalem. Well, let's keep reading the verse. They were all scattered throughout the region of where? Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. The apostles were still a little slow to the game of what Jesus told them to do. But what we see here is that in the difficulty of persecution at the end of chapter 7... What it led the followers of Jesus to do was to scatter in fear, but when they scattered, what did they do? They shared the gospel of Jesus because they, they were on mission. They were sent ones, and they went to Judea and Samaria. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I am like the followers of Jesus here that Jesus has to do something to get my attention. Anybody else like that? Anybody else like that? All right. Don't leave me up here by myself. I know you guys. So the rest of, I'll give you the, kind of the, the context of the next few verses. 
What we see happening, what unfolding here in Acts chapter 8 is that verse 5, Philip preached about Jesus. Again, he's headed to Samaria. He's going to the other regions as he was explained for him to do. Verse 6, multitudes responded. Great joy in verse number 8 in the city. Many were baptized. Uh, The apostles came and, and they were blown away by what God was doing. And the Holy Spirit came upon them just like it had the apostles earlier in Acts. And then it says, Peter and John preached in many villages, and there was just this mighty move of God in Samaria. A spiritual awakening, if you will. From Jerusalem now to Judea, now specifically here in the first part of eight, chapter 8 is Samaria. What would it have been like to have been a part of that early church to see 2,000, 3,000 multitudes coming to Jesus Christ? Would you like to see that? How many of you have been paying attention to Asbury and Cedarville and some of the other colleges and seeing what God is doing? How many of you have been kind of keeping up with that a little bit? Wouldn't you love for that to spread all over the United States? Would you love to see that? Would you love to see that? And I wonder, I mean, we all say it, right? I think everyone said it. At least you pretended like you said it. Yeah, me, yeah. How many of you want revival? How many of you want to see a great awakening? You know that, that rarely does a mighty move of God happen prior to a mighty move of prayer happening? So we can say revival, revival, revival. But what we do speaks much louder than what we say. Do you agree with that? And, I, you know, I'm struggling to say this next couple thoughts, just to be honest with you. I'm going to trust this is what God wants me to say because uh, it's not always, like, I, I, I never want to be a pastor or someone who speaks and try to motivate by guilt. You guys ever been motivated by guilt by a preacher? I know I have. My dad, he... <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't even on the stage. That was at home. Right? How many of you have ever been guilty as a parent motivating your kids by guilt? All right, sometimes it's the best way to get them, right? I mean, let's just be honest here, right? Sometimes it's the only way. I mean, now, me growing up, I was a good kid, and I never did anything wrong, right? Right? Uh, I was thinking, so I I have some friends here with me, and uh, you guys have heard the story of me getting kicked out of a basketball game before? You guys heard that before? Oh, never mind, that, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> I was reminded this week because I was watching my son coach basketball, and when I was a coach in Kansas at the high school, the local public high school there, I, uh, I may or may not have got kicked out of a basketball game before as the coach. My son was sitting in the bleachers as, a, I think, a junior in high school at that time. I mean, within two seconds... Twitter is running rampant with Pastor John got kicked out of the basketball game. I'm like, what? I promise you, I, like, I went out pretty quick. I was embarrassed, just to be honest. And I'll go out. I, I had barely walked out into the hallway of this, the auxiliary gym, and the athletic director walks up to me. says, I hear the pastor got kicked out of a game today. It's like, I don't know. I didn't see him, but... I was like, I've never seen you at church. But anyways, 
But the, so I, I was watching my son coaches that kind of brought the memories back. But then Jackson here, Jackson, you want to raise your hand for a minute? I'm embarrassing. It was his fault. <laughs> if he had made the shot, I would never got mad. All right. Now he did get fouled, right? You did get fouled. I mean, and he even went, I, I even went to the ref and said, look, look at his arm. Yeah, I was that guy. I, this is not in my notes, so let's get back. It's Jackson's fault again. So here's what I was wrestling with saying. You know, for about two years now, every Saturday morning, this sanctuary is open for prayer. And I wonder if 100 people showed up on a Saturday morning to pray for two years, if we wouldn't be the ones seeing revival. So I think for us, and, and this is, again, every time I point at you, remember that you've got three fingers pointing back, right? Do I really want God to move like I see in the early church? Because my, my prayer life will reveal that for sure. All right. I'll get back to the text, so I won't be so mean here. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And what I want to do is I want to read through this entire passage, and then we'll kind of walk back through it quickly. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and this is Philip that we read of in Acts chapter 6. He's a deacon. He's, he wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't a pastor. He's just a deacon. And then he turns out to be Philip the evangelist, all right? An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and Philip's the one been preaching. He's seen multitudes saved. We just walked through that. And the angel of the Lord said, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Oh, thank you. That's just where I wanted to go. And what does he do? Verse 27. So he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chair. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. He outran the chariot and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. He opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his, his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture in Isaiah, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down to the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down on the water. He baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more. He went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Asatos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. What an amazing story. It's interesting that oftentimes, and even in my own life, like we, we want to see the multitudes, right? We, we've seen God move in a great way. We've seen Philip a part of this 
amazing evangelistic ministry of multitudes giving their life to Christ and multitudes getting baptized. And then we see the Spirit of the Lord come to Philip and go, hey, I want you to go on this desert road that leads to nowhere and preach Jesus. Was it to the masses? It was to the one. I love the fact that we see that, of course, Jesus is compassionate towards the multitudes. But we also see that Jesus sees the individual, the one. And how important, again, a reminder for us this morning is, am I praying diligently for the one? Am I praying for that one to come to know Christ? That's what Jesus said. This is the one o'clock. This is why we're praying every day at one. Luke chapter 15, verse four. What did Jesus say? What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness? Go after the one which is lost until he finds it. I'm glad that God is compassionate for the multitudes, but I'm thankful God sees the one. I'm glad the gospel came to me. And I think the majority of the people in the world who give their life to Christ is from a one-on-one conversation. How many of you, someone led you to Christ? Just put your hand up. How many, one person led you to Christ in a one-on-one context, right? Isn't that awesome? One person led you to Christ. Raise your, raise your hand again. All right, now put your hand down. And I don't want you to raise your hand for the next question. This is that guilty thing. I don't want to be guilty. But I, want you to, I do want you to wrestle with the question. How many of you have led another one? Because what do we often say? The gospel came to me on the way to, to someone else. And, and for far too many people, the gospel stops. Right? That's, that's the plan. God's plan was, I mean, God could do anything he wanted to. He could write it in the sky when you, when you walk out of the church this morning. And he may do it. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? My guess is he's not going to. The plan he's chosen to use is you. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus has sent you on mission. And you are in your neighborhood and you are at your work and you're in your school and you're on that team for a reason. God wants you to be on mission. God wants you to go after the one, and again, I'm, I'm thankful that Jesus went after this one. I, I'm, this is going to be a really su- surprise to you. I'm, I'm stubborn. Really. I, I remember when, uh, I, I don't know, when I was in school, you used to have to go to the office and grab the back of the chair. How many of you ever had to do that? Okay. It's humiliating and painful. And you would think it'd make me stop, but it didn't. I had a, about a every six-week meeting with my principal uh, because every six weeks they would check your work, and then every six weeks they'd realize I cheated for the last six weeks. <laughs> and I had calculated, you know what, I can put up with it for six weeks of playing, and then I'll get, you know, bend over and get the paddle of correction, all that good stuff, right? I'm stubborn. I remember my dad had a piece of wood up in his office and he was doing unkinds of things with that, you know, with that thing. And I said, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> like I said, I'm stubborn. 
it started to hurt. And then the board broke. And I said, what are you going to do now? And I remember what he did now. Like, I could hear every step down the stairs. I mean, it's in my mind, like down the stairs, around the hall, out the kitchen. I hear the garage door open. I hear the lumber pile going, and I hear the steps back up. It's like, I know what he's going to do now. And uh, that's not my notes either, man. I got I to gotta stay on my notes. Three things I want to point out real quick about Philip. Philip was available. I love that. Verse 26. He's doing ministry. He's doing what God's called him to do. And God says, go do something else. It seems like it, it wouldn't be appropriate for him to go do something else because he's speaking to the masses. Multitudes are being saved. And God sends him down to some desert road to find some guy from Ethiopia. One man in a chariot. Of course, we know as history tells us that this is how the gospel. Do you realize at this, at this point in history, what the Jews would have thought is there was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then south was Egypt. Of course, they knew where Egypt was because that's where they came from at one point, right? But anything south of Egypt to a, a Jewish person at this time would have been known as, in King James terms, the uttermost. In New King James terms, it would be known as the ends of the earth. Anything south of Egypt was the ends of the earth. What did Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tell? What, what did Jesus tell the disciples? First, you'll be witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Up until this point, they've only been to the first three. And then Jesus said, and to the uttermost, the ends of the earth. And the disciples had not done that yet. The apostles, the followers, Philip, none of them had done that yet. And God, God calls Philip to one man on a desert road. And Philip, number two, was obedient. He was available. He was obedient. And the third one, I'll go ahead and give it to you. He's courageous. We don't know much about the eunuch, right? I mean... We'll get into all the things of what term eunuch is, but really he was in charge. He was in charge of the usury. It says the word there, Candace, uh, a queen. Candace really is just a title similar to Pharaoh. And in, in Ethiopia at this time, in this region, the, um, the king was so amazing that any task or duties of a king was below him. So Candace would do all his work for him. And Candace would be his mother. He was a mama's boy, apparently, right? So we know that the Ethiopian had a lot of power. We also know that he was searching for God. What did we read there? He, was, he came to Jerusalem. He's trying to figure out who is this God? And what can he do for me? And it seems like as he's going back, he still doesn't have the answer. I don't know. I think he found religion. I, it would have been very, very, very rare for anyone to have a scroll other than a Jewish priest. Except that he had a lot of money. And so now we know how he got the scroll, right? He had a lot of money. 
And he just happens to be reading when Philip is obedient, available, and courageous. He just happens to be reading one of the most famous, clear passage of Old Testament scripture about Jesus the Messiah. That's pretty amazing. But, but I, we just have to think about from pers- the perspective of Philip. Like, he's approaching royalty, right? Says he ran to go to the chariot. And I assume it's going to take a little bit of courage, right? How many of you, God has ever asked you to do something and you've been a little fearful about doing it? Anybody? Okay. I, 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 I was reading this like two weeks ago and it made me think of a story. I'm going to ask uh, Steve Rhodes if he would come to the, to the stage. Um, one thing that if you've been around for a while and you, you, know my, you know my dad who pastored here for many years, um, the same is true. If you tell a preacher a story, be prepared for the preacher to ask you to tell the whole church the story, right? And I called Steve last week and said, hey, I got a favor to ask you. Oh, yeah, anything. Are you sure? Yeah. And I want Steve, Steve had shared this with me privately. Then I read this text and thought, this is awesome. I'm going to let Steve share. Steve, thank you. I appreciate Pastor John uh, asking me to speak uh, a testimony that's been bothering me for, as he has spoken about the man that, uh, that died of cancer. Two years ago, I did come down with cancer. God bless me. I'm cancer-free right now, but... Amen. Two years ago, John came to my side, my bedside at the hospital. At that point, I just prayed to the Lord that, and I told him that I wanted to serve God better than I ever have before. Fast forward three weeks ago, I got an email from Nathan and uh, he wanted me to be a D group leader. I responded to the email and then he invited me to the training on a particular Saturday, three weeks ago. Uh, He told me there was no pressure for me to pray about it and see what God would lead me to do. At the closing of the training course, I felt led by the group that I was sitting at the table with. And I felt encouraged. And I said, yes, I'd be the leader. Not knowing what that would consist of, but I just felt that God was the answer of my prayer and told me not to worry about it. I would teach you and the guys in the group. I was so moved by that. I just. The next morning, as we still thinking about the call about the D group, we were discussing about us serving in the church more. I got a text from Nathan again and asked what I host, a discovery class in Pastor John's office. At that time, I didn't know what that would consist of. I just told my wife that we're going to serve what God has called me out to do. On the way to the church, we both prayed out loud to each other, my wife first and then me. We sitting out here in the parking lot and I just started uh, 
asking God to use me, whatever he has for me. As we entered the church, we come through the doors. Everybody was gathered around Pastor John, and they was praying for them, and I, we just stood there. And as they broke, then God started speaking to me again. Because when I accepted the D group, I thought, man, who am I going to ask to join me? I could think of many people. As the group broke and I walked through, the, through where they were praying and God just spoke to me and said, there's a man right there. I want you to ask him. Had to be Robert Flores. I'm the one that led him to God. And he accepted. He's been a close friend of mine. I love him dearly. I, I went in telling uh, Robert what it consists of, making a, a commitment, accountability, and he said yes, that he would do it. We were both so emotional at that time. I told, Robert told me that he had been praying for that one to come to him, to help him be closer to God and open up the, the Bible and the study. He said he was excited about the next nine months. As we entered the church and the church was about to start, uh, God started speaking to me again. The lights were dim. I could just feel the Holy Spirit just moving. And he told me, there's a man right in front of you over to your right. And it had to be Jeff Harmon. I waited until the closing of the service and I spoke to Jeff and I asked him, would he like to join a men's Bible study group? And he responded yes, right before I could even get it out. Jeff told me that he just got through praying for that one. That morning, someone would come and have him be studying the Bible. And I told him also that, that he, he, it would help him learn to be more accountable in reading the Bible. Both of these guys were very emotional with me. Uh, I took it to heart. I'm just so thankful that I can accept the calling that God has called for me to do. And I thank you for Pastor John's leadership in this church and challenging me to stay in the word and, and let me grow in faith in God. Thank you. Thanks for sharing, Steve. Appreciate it, man. His, his story reminded me of this text because when God came to Philip and said, go do something, what Philip found out when he took the steps of obedience and courage, what, you, what we fail to realize oftentimes is that God's always working on the other side of the story. Just so, right, it just so happens that when Philip catches the chariot, that he's reading a messianic prophecy about Jesus, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? How can I understand unless someone explains it? Like when we, we don't always get the whole picture, right? We, we don't, you know, when Steve went up and asked Robert, 
do you want to join a D group with me? Little did Steve know that Robert was specifically praying that God would send someone to ask him to do a Bible study. Little did Steve know when he got Jeff after church that day that during that time of response, Jeff had just prayed, God, I know I need to get in the Bible more. Help me get in the Bible more. Isn't that amazing? I love what Steve said was when the Holy Spirit spoke into him. Do you realize as a follower of Jesus, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit? And the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you? Do you realize that? Do you, do you live in that? Like the reality that the power of God, the power who resurrected Jesus from the dead, the moment you gave your life to Christ, lives inside of you. That's amazing. We should get excited about that. We should live excited about that, right? We shouldn't have to cower from anything. When God told Steve to go, what did he do? He went. And what he found out was God was working on the other side of the story. If God is in it, God will get you through it, right? And so my challenge is very simple this morning. They're right on the screen. Are you available? Will you be obedient? And will you take courage? God wants to use you. We, you, me, we, we're all in this together, right? God wants so much more for us and from us. Like we are missionaries sent on mission to our neighborhoods, our workplace, our school, our family. Let's not sell God short. Philip walked in obedience, courage. And as history would tell us, the gospel spread all over Africa because of one man. What could God do through me, through you, through us, if we really surrendered to live on mission? Whatever it takes, God. I'll go, go across the street, go across the world. Do you want people to, to know about Jesus? Do you wanna see revival? Let's pray like we really do. In fact, would you close your eyes so we can pray? And I want you just to, to wrestle with it in your own heart right now. Maybe God has been asking you to do something and you've been kind of fearful and you just need to say, God, give, give me courage, give me strength, give me the willingness. Maybe this morning you just need to say, God, I'm available. I wanna be used. Steve prayed that prayer two years ago in the hospital and he's just made himself available. And God's using him. And, and so this morning, I just want to challenge you. Seek the Lord. You, you know what God's asking you to do. I don't have to give a whole long list. The Holy Spirit indwells you. The Holy Spirit speaks to you through his word. And what is he saying? And like Philip, I love it. Verse 26, arise and go. Verse 27, so he arose and went and he preached Jesus. Would you stand with me? 
God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed someone to share the gospel with us. And I pray, Lord, that we would live on mission to share the gospel with others. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. In the next few minutes, if you want to come forward and pray, maybe God has allowed you to have a gospel conversation. You can come put one of the green balls in there. Maybe someone came to your mind that you need to pray about and you need to fill out a white ball and stick it in there. But let's just seek the Lord today. Maybe that needs, maybe you just need to sit down and worship at your seat. In the next few minutes, let's bow before the Lord.